go through this. Um, but before we start, let's just come to God and ask for his help in this. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, may you speak through it. Give us ears to hear what you have to say to us through it. And may your spirit apply it to our lives. Amen. You don't have to be a Christian to be interested in Jesus. You don't have to be a Christian to like Jesus. Because there's lots of people who like Jesus. There are lots of people who are interested in Jesus. And interested in who he is, what he has done, what he has said. But for many of these people, they are not. Jesus is not Lord of their life. So let me ask you this, are you interested in Jesus or are you infatuated with him? Do you just like Jesus or is he Lord of your life? I wonder if you know any of these three men on the screen. These three men are not Christians, at least not yet, but in their professional lives they are interested in Jesus. In their professional lives they speak a lot about Jesus. These three men are psychologist Jordan Peterson, historian Tom Holland, and journalist Douglas Murray. These three people, you could say, are curious about Jesus and apply it to their own work. Another less famous example, a few years ago, I was chatting to a lady who was, and she was very interested in Jesus. She greatly admired Jesus. She thought Jesus was a great example of how to live which is something we agreed upon, but we differed when it came to Jesus paying for our sin. She thought Jesus was a great example, but she was not interested in Jesus as a rescuer from sin. There are lots of people who seek Jesus. There are lots of people who admire Jesus, but to many of them, he is not Lord. And what we see in Luke chapter 7 is two people seeking Jesus. We have Simon the Pharisee, and then, as the text says, this sinful woman. Both these people are interested in Jesus. Both these people want to have a relationship with him. But one of them Jesus accepts and welcomes, and the other one he rebukes. And we'll see why. Let's meet these two characters. We'll start off with the woman, the one whom the passage is named after. What do we know about her? If you look down to verse 37, it says this. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. How is this woman described? She is characterised as someone that leads a sinful life. In the ESV translation, which is on the screen there, it calls her a woman of the city and a sinner. The phrase woman of the city was one that would have commonly referred to prostitutes in that day. So that is why I think it is likely that is what Luke is trying to tell us. That's what he's trying to tell us about of who she is. She is someone that is known as being a prostitute around that town, around that city. 
But even if she isn't, we are left in no doubt about what kind of life she leads. A public life of sin. One where everybody knows who she is and the life she leads. This woman's character is in stark contrast to the character of Simon the Pharisee. This, if this woman is known as a sinner, Simon is known as being good and righteous. If this woman is on the edge of society, Simon is the big name in the town. Simon the Pharisee, he would have had absolutely nothing to do with this woman. Simon was part of the Pharisees, they were ruling and religious elite in Israel, and they believed in salvation by segregation. That to live a godly life was to follow the rules and the commands of God, to be spiritually pure, and part of that meant removing yourself from interacting with sinners, people like this woman. Now, in some of us, we might find the character of Simon a surprising one, because for anyone who knows anything about the Pharisees, we will know that largely they were not huge fans of Jesus. And that's putting it quite mildly. So it's surprising that Simon the Pharisee has invited Jesus over for lunch. This is a public relationship Simon is initiating with Jesus. Simon is taking a risk in being associated with Jesus. He is risking maybe condemnation, maybe ridicule um, from his Pharisees, from the colleagues, over this meal. But why is Simon doing this? It's because Simon is interested in Jesus. From his response to this woman's actions later, we can assume Simon has invited Jesus over so that he can suss him out. So he can find out what kind of a prophet Jesus is, what kind of man he is. Simon wants to hear what Jesus has to say. So in this story, we have two people interested in Jesus, but as we will see, there is a difference in how the woman seeks Jesus and how Simon seeks Jesus. Let's look at this woman. How does she seek Jesus? She has learned that Jesus is at this Pharisee's house. Um, and she brings a jar, an alabaster jar of perfume with her. In those days, it would not have been unusual for random members of the public to be at meals like this. They could come and listen in to the conversations that were being had. In one way, this was kind of like the original live podcast where you could come, listen to these ideas and learn a few things. So potentially there could have been a number of people from the public at this meal observing and listening and Jesus is reclining at the table he's on his side and his feet are out behind him so it's very possible this woman could have come in unnoticed and maybe that was her plan maybe she wanted to come in without anyone noticing and then leave but read with me what happens in verse 38 it says this and she stood behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Imagine this scene. Imagine you're at this party, and you notice this woman crying. But more than crying, she is sobbing. 
Sobbing so much that her tears are falling and wetting Jesus' feet. By this point, everyone else in the meal has gone quiet. It's an awkward silence, a cringeworthy silence maybe. Because it is not that, that there is a woman crying at Jesus' feet. It is this woman crying at Jesus' feet. This notorious prostitute, this sinner from the town, she is the one sobbing at Jesus' feet. This notorious sinner then bends down and lets her hair fall. And she begins to wipe her tears off Jesus' feet with her hair. What's more, she begins to kiss Jesus' feet. What a peculiar way to act. But Jesus isn't pushing her away. Jesus is letting her do this. Jesus then lets her produce this small vial of perfume, which she breaks and pours onto Jesus' feet. As I look at this woman, do you know what? I think she's being incredibly brave. Because she has come to this house, to Simon's house, who is part of the ruling religious elite, who would have nothing to do with her. This Jewish elite, they probably have shunned her for the life she lives, for the person she is. So she comes to this house because Jesus is there. And she approaches Jesus and she is overcome with emotion. By being close to Jesus, she can't control herself. She just starts weeping. And as this verse is true, she undoes her hair and wipes Jesus' feet with it. In this uh, culture, in the context of Israel at this time, this would have been incredibly immodest. This was a huge no-no, letting your hair down in public. And also remember, Jesus is a single man. This level of affection, this closeness the woman had with Jesus would have shocked onlookers. That a woman would approach Jesus and act in this way. And that Jesus would let her as well. And then there's this little jar of perfume. This jar of perfume would have had a long skinny neck just so you could get a few drops out at a time. The only way to pour the perfume out would have been to break the jar. Which is presumably what this woman does here. In this culture, as in our own, Actually, um, perfume was used to make women smell nice. This was particularly helpful in a hot and sweaty climate. If anyone's been on holiday to the Mediterranean, you'll know it is very warm. So this perfume made this woman more desirable, more attractive. Given her line of work, this was obviously quite important for her. This perfume would have also been incredibly expensive. There were no cheap knockoff brands probably at this time, so this perfume would have been the real deal. So this woman, this notorious sinner, a probable prostitute, probably single and marginalised in society, she is laying at Jesus' feet something that is incredibly expensive. Probably the most expensive thing she owned. And she breaks it. And she pours it out on Jesus' feet. But I think there's more to it. 
I don't think this is just a financial sacrifice. Because what I think this woman is doing, I think she is giving up any power she has. And she is leaving it at Jesus' feet, the one in whom real power rests. Because in a world like this, what does a prostitute have? Her currency is her desirability, her attractiveness. And she breaks this perfume. The thing that made her more desirable, more attractive, and she pours it out on Jesus' feet. This is what Tim Keller says um, about this. He says, what is this woman saying? She is saying to Jesus, if you are who you say you are, that changes everything. I come to you without conditions. I give you everything I am, everything I have. This woman is pouring her whole life out towards Jesus. Jesus is the object of her love, the object of her gratitude. She is not holding anything back, not her emotions, not her financial security. She is seeking Jesus with her whole life. This woman is a social outcast, a notorious sinner as we said, and Jesus welcomes her. Jesus is happy to have her close by. He does not shy away from her. Let me ask you this. If this woman came to church today, would we shy away from her? This woman, if she came in, would she make us feel uncomfortable? She might. She might not be someone we would want to be close to, to associate with. And if we act like this, we actually act more like Simon than we do Jesus. Because this whole scene that has unfolded makes Simon uncomfortable. Look at verse 39. Look what he says to himself. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. That she is a sinner. Simon is uncomfortable with the situation and what makes him uncomfortable is not so much the presence of this woman or the waste of expensive perfume or that his party has been ruined. What makes him uncomfortable is that this sinful woman is touching Jesus. That this sinful woman is close to Jesus. Remember, Simon believes in salvation by segregation. So the idea that this, that Jesus allows this woman to touch him, means he either isn't a prophet because he doesn't know what type of woman she is, or more likely, it means Jesus is not a prophet and Simon, in his worldview, can tolerate. Simon can't tolerate a Jesus that welcomes sinners like this. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows the thought of Simon. So Jesus tells Simon a parable in verse 41. He says this. He says, Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. 
Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? This short parable completely exposes the difference between these two seekers. In one sense, it compares Simon and this woman. Two debtors. One owes 50 denarii, the other 500. Ten times more. And Jesus, he aims this parable at Simon. He probes him. Which of them will love him more? Simon's answer is half-hearted, to say the least. I suppose, Simon says. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt. He supposes. Simon, in his half-hearted answer, shows us the real issue with Simon. Is that Simon wants a half-hearted relationship with Jesus. Simon, unlike this woman, um, wants a relationship with Jesus from a distance. He maybe wants an intellectual relationship. Not one with touching. Not one where you can let your hair down. Not one where you can cry. I wonder if you heard the noise of keys jingling, would it bring you joy? Would your heart leap if you heard keys jingle? It would be kind of weird if it did, but what happens if you're trapped in a cage? Then suddenly the sound of keys rattling makes your heart leap. The keys promise freedom, but your heart only leaps if you understand the reality of the cage you are in. It only leaps if you know that there is life and freedom outside of the cage. So when Simon interacts with Jesus, his heart doesn't leap, unlike this woman. Because Simon doesn't realise the situation he is in. Where Jesus is the key to freedom, where life and freedom can only be found in Jesus. Because in this parable, Jesus cleverly makes it about two people, both of them trapped in their debt. Neither of them have the ability to pay back. Because what Jesus is saying is that everyone is in debt. From the greatest, holiest, most religious person like Simon to this woman, this prolific sinner. In one way, we have the two extremes of humanity. Everyone in humanity falls in the scale between this woman and Simon. And what Jesus is saying is that it doesn't matter who you are. Even if you're Simon, even if you're so holy, you are still in debt. You are debt-ridden. And it's the, the extent of the debt doesn't necessarily matter. Imagine this. Imagine someone is sleeping. And in their sleep, a venomous spider comes up and bites them, and they die in their sleep. Now, compare that with another person who, as they're going about their day, is mauled to death by a lion. Which of these people are more or less dead? One is dead, the other is ugly dead, but they are both dead nonetheless. This is what Jesus is saying to Simon. You and this woman, you are both 
sinners. You are both in debt, you and this sinner. She is an ugly sinner. She might have ten times the amount of sin you have, but you are both in debt. You are both in the same condition. But what we see in this parable is the truth of the gospel. This parable shows us that our debt can be forgiven. In the book of Colossians, we find these words. It says this, And you were dead in your trespasses. You can say, we, you were utterly dead in your trespasses. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. We were all debtors. We are all dead in our sins. Some of us are just plain dead, but some of us are ugly dead. But we're all dead in our trespasses nonetheless. But we can be made alive again. It is through the man who welcomes ugly debtors like this woman. It is through Jesus. It is through his death on the cross. He pays the debt himself. He bears the cost we deserve. This woman realises the debt she's in. She has put her faith in Jesus. She probably has heard Jesus on a previous occasion and she comes to Jesus. She seeks out the friend of sinners and Jesus welcomes her. Jesus who preaches that the kingdom of God is for people just like her. For people broken in spirit. For the needy, for the oppressed. This kingdom where the world order is turned on its head. Where your standing, your religious performance doesn't matter. What ultimately matters is the condition of your heart. And this woman's life has been transformed by Jesus. God has given her a new heart. One where Jesus is the most beautiful thing to her. More beautiful than anything in her whole life. More beautiful than the perfume she has. And her heart overflows with love for Jesus and who he is. She comes to adore. She comes to worship Jesus. The one who clears her debt. And look what Jesus tells her in verse 47. He says this, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loves much. This action by this woman, this is not a ploy to get forgiveness. This is a response to a transformed life. And because of her faith, she is forgiven. But in closing, let me ask you this. Who are you more like? Are you like Simon? Are you just interested in Jesus? Happy to keep a bit of a distance. One where you like Jesus? As long as he doesn't have control over your life. Over your goals. Over your finances. Over how your life pans out. 
Maybe you think the Jesus model is all well and good, love your enemies and everything like that, but why should it be the defining factor of my life? If you live like this, you are in fact, like Simon, missing who Jesus is. And if we are like this, we should pay attention to what Jesus tells Simon. In verse 44, what does Jesus tell Simon? He tells her, he tells him, do you see this woman? He says, Simon, look at this woman. Look at how she loves. Look at the honour and the worship she displays towards me. As a Christian, are we like this woman? Where your whole life is at Jesus' feet. Where Jesus is Lord of your life. Where Jesus, as Lord of your life, has control over your finances. Where you give Jesus control of your dreams and your aspirations. Where you give Jesus control over the decisions you make. Where Jesus is the one in control of how your life pans out. Why? Because if Jesus is who he says he is, that changes everything. We come to him with everything we have, with everything we are. We rejoice in who Jesus is, and if your faith is in him, we hear the words that he tells this woman, and we hear his words to us. We hear your sins, which are many, are forgiven. Through Jesus we have life and we have it to the full. Through Jesus we have more than we can think, more than we can imagine. Jesus wants you to come to him like this woman, with your whole life fully relying on him for everything. To cast your wants and desires and hopes and struggles to him. He wants us to be authentic before him. The real you, you don't have to be a certain level of Christian, to come to Jesus, because none of us are that. But we come to Jesus with our sinful, broken, messed up lives like this woman. But we come with a confidence. We come with the knowledge of that what Jesus has done for us, that we are loved, that we are accepted because of Christ. This woman is a picture of what it means to be a Christian. Christianity, it's all about Jesus. It's about being close to him, worshipping him. It's about falling deeper and deeper in love with him. So let's learn from this scoundrel today, this woman. Let's learn from her. Let's be more like her. Let's come to Jesus with everything we are, everything we have. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for the truths contained within it. Help us to live lives by your spirit that seeks you with everything we have. May we be like this woman. May we give you the honour and the respect you deserve. May we love you with a great love because we are people who have been greatly forgiven. Lord, by your spirit, help us to apply all this to your life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.